0: Welcome to Episode 28 of the Year of Financial Planner Now What Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Moore. Before we jump into the episode today, I want to share with you one of my favorite events every year, the DFWFPA Career Day. Financial planning firms from Dallas and the surrounding areas come and interview candidates for internships as well as full-time positions. If you're looking for an internship or job, this is a great place to send your resume. Through Career Day, I found my first financial planning internship as well as the full-time job opportunities once I graduated. The deadline to submit your resume is December 16th, and you can find more information at fpadfw.org. I'm excited to share with you an interview I recently did with Kirsten Ishmael. Kirsten shares her story of how she transitioned from being a nanny to a financial advisor and what has helped her be successful, particularly her study group. Kirsten also shares with us some of her thoughts on the challenges facing women in the profession and what she's observed. Kirsten is amazing and has so much to offer. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this podcast. Well, thank you for joining us today, Kirsten. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Hannah. Yeah. So can you tell the audience um, a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you start in financial planning and kind of what, what's what been your career path so far?
1: Sure. Um, so the quick version of that story is that I went to school for elementary education, came from a long line of educators on my paternal side of the family, but knew pretty much um as I was rounding on to grant graduation that that was not really the path I wanted to pursue, but I didn't want to, I didn't really want to build up any more student loan debt. So I decided to um, leave the state of Maine and um, take on this opportunity to be a nanny just outside of Boston um, to kind of wrap my head around what are my other options before I look at, you know, reengaging in maybe another four years of, of college or maybe moving on to some kind of graduate level degree. And um, that ended up being a very beneficial decision on my part because the family that I worked from lived in a very affluent area um, on the North Shore of Massachusetts and all of the fathers that were in this network um, of families that I worked with. Uh, were the primary breadwinners, and all the moms pretty much stayed home, but um, they they came from a diverse background. So as I was kind of going through this experience of nannying, um, I was really focused on what is there out there beyond education and um, decided to interview each of these fathers um, to get a better understanding of what it is that they did and especially what is the entry-level position. Um, in their field, right? And one of them happened to be a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. And um, this gentleman by the name of Glenn um, basically said to me, you'd be a perfect fit given what you handle um, on a day-to-day basis with the three young boys all underneath the age of four. I can tell you that your ability to manage the entry-level position would, would, um, would be spot on and um, you might find the work interesting. So I took him up on it. He actually offered me a paid internship, which quickly turned into an opportunity to uh, interview for a um, an administrative assistant position back then, Um, and I I got it. You know, really just loved what I saw. My grandfather was an entrepreneur and a small business owner and had been an investor for a very long time. Um, I, for whatever reason, at a very young age, showed some interest in um, the investing side of it. And um, so I had an awareness of investing in the stock market at a very young age, but never really did anything with it other than it was just a great way to relate to my grandfather. So when this option became available to me, um, through this paid internship, um, it really just sort of clicked. Like, I just, I had this thirst for, like, well, what's it mean to work in the business rather than just being, you know, somebody on the other side of the market? Um, so self taught, study, you know, was given the okay to go and, um, you know, train myself to get all my licenses, um, you know, the Series 765. And health and insurance licenses, that sort of thing. So, um, and just loved it. I ate up all the material. So it was a very wonderful way of not having to go back and pay college tuition. Um, <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> um, my dad was a big believer that whenever an opportunity knocks, you have to at least open the door and see what's behind there. And I had thought, I'm, I'm one of those people that generally speaking, when I go into something, I think that this is going to be it and forever. And like, I'm going to die doing that exact same thing or that exact same role. Um, but always having my dad sit on my shoulder about those opportunities knocking. Um, I did have an opportunity to come across my my um, plate about moving up, kind of changing my role, um, but at a different firm. So I explored that. Again, it was sort of another little light bulb moment that there was something beyond what I was currently doing, and I could see kind of more of a pathway that could lead to more um, opportunities for me to explore. So I took that. Um and that just really is I think the moment in time where I became I positioned myself in a way where I was no longer working with someone who was doing a transactional business, but that was looking for more of a long-term relationship building practice. Um, And that person in the, in um, himself didn't want to do that. He wanted to uh, supply the support structure and infrastructure for that, but he wanted somebody to, you know, to take that ball and run with it. And I was all over it. Um, So I basically built up a private client side of this practice that was, um, basically handling the administration of equity compensation plans for major fortune 500 companies. So I worked with these individuals who were forced to basically contact us to equi- exercise their equity options. Um, and all the while they were asking me for guidance, right? And so it played perfectly into my ability to just say, okay, well, it's not I can't provide guidance on just one little tiny piece. I need to have a better understanding of the whole puzzle so that I can give you the best advice. And so it was very successful for me. Um, And this was right at the beginning of when. That asset based fee um, compensation arrangement became available in um, financial planning services that were especially run through like the wirehouses. So I just ran with it and I never ever once had to worry about, you know, what kind of commissions I was generating on a monthly basis. It was all just revenue based off of the relationships I was developing. So. Um, and I can pretty much say that ever since, and that was in 99 when that all kind of came to fruition, that all I've been doing is trying to perfect and improve upon that. Um, and by narrowing down who I serve and, um, how I bring unique skill sets to that, um, that service of financial planning.
0: So you're still at that same firm?
1: Nope. Um, I, so started at Merrill, moved to Smith Barney for that opportunity with the equity compensation arrangement. And then, um, about seven and a half years ago, we felt like we were a better fit for another institution that was more focused on financial planning. Um, and so I'm now with UBS. And you're still with
0: that same gentleman um, that you were before.
1: Yes, right? uh, yeah, I am. Um, but i uh, that's one other little unique element about my um, current arrangement. I have really two um, businesses going on at the same time. I have that legacy business through the equity compensation channel, um, and the team actually that, that that all started with is in Boston. I moved, um, from Boston in 2003. So I've been working remotely with that team and that book of clients, um, for now 13 years. And about three years ago, I started another partnership again with, um, within UBS, but with another CFP. Um, and she and I focus on women in transition. Um, and so I'm actually running kind of two, businesses if you will one's more a little bit more on autopilot where the other one is kind of in its early phases of development.
0: I want to just touch on a couple of things that you said there because you you bring some really unique elements to it. So you started out, I mean just as an intern and kind of moved your way all up sounding to ownership. How did you when you made that transition from like the administrative assistant to the advisor role? I mean, what helped you be successful in that?
1: A certain level of just having a level of confidence, Hannah, that went along with my passion, right? For just saying, oh my gosh, I actually think I found something that really suits me very well. Like I'm, I'm an outgoing person. I love to meet people. I love to talk to people, but I'm also for whatever reason, just designed that if somebody has an issue or problem or wants help with something, I always seem to find myself in an advisory role, right? So going back to the days of being in a sorority, I was like the chaplain, which is basically it serves two roles. Like I'm the ritual and ceremony person, but I'm also sort of like the the uh, the person who you go to when the grades are failing and they have had inappropriate behavior, you know. And so I was the one deemed to be the one that had like the best, you know, wisdom as to what is the kind of behavior you want to. Um, you want to uh, create in a good sorority sister and you know, and a, as a role model for the community. And so um, I, for whatever reason, I just always find myself, you know, in that advising role. So I think just having kind of that natural traits and characteristics that aligned well with planning, right. And engaging in a relationship were there. Um, and then I would say just that opportunity that knocked of, you know, an advisor who is looking to take something that he had that was wildly successful on its own, but seeing another opportunity, but realizing it wasn't his strong suit and he needed somebody else to come in and take the ball and run with it, um, I think was, was a big, big factor um, of my success. And, you know, we just got lucky that
0: our, our paths crossed. Kirsten, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, even going back, you're talking about in the 90s, the late 90s. Um, but what was it like being a, in a, a woman in a very male dominated industry, especially when you're talking about, you know, Mer- Merrill and Smith Barney?
1: Mm. Um, well, I definitely noticed that there were very few women that were in that had the title financial advisor. Um, however, uh, again, as luck would have it for me, the first group of financial advisors that I worked with at Uh, at Merrill Lynch I'm sorry Um, one of them was a female and I think she was one of like four in the branch and this is Boston so this was like the second largest branch of Merrill Lynch in the entire franchise so for me to have an opportunity to just come in and sit down right next to somebody who is a female and she was also um, a Chinese American and she had a lot of offshore accounts um, I would hear her speaking, you know, Mandarin, Cantonese and a bunch of different languages to her clients. And it was clear that at the very get-go, they, she was advising. Them. She was not just doing transactions for them. Um, and so I kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had a great role model in Margaret, um, because she, she was doing what she knew was possible to do in the industry. Um, and because she, I think because of her unique heritage, um, and her unique connections, they, nobody tried to pigeonhole her, um, in having to do business a certain way. They, you know, she was unique enough that they allowed her to do what, um, she could do and she was successful as a result of it. So coming into the, um, industry and having that as sort of one of my first inside glances at it, um, you know, really just sort of meant that there wasn't a ceiling for me. You know, I just had to find my own unique path. I also, um, had the benefit of, When I took the opportunity at Smith Barney, um, again, that actually, the Boston branch of Smith Barney was the largest branch in the the franchise when I joined. And it was under the leadership, branch management leadership of uh, a female. And I happened to sit like right next to her suite. And um, she was a very approachable woman, um, you know, tough, but approachable. And I think she was the only um, female branch manager for the first couple of years in at Smith Barney that I knew of. She then um, also there was another woman that became a branch manager in Portland, Maine, which is Maine is my home state. Um, And so I just again, I felt like I was I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by enough females doing things that weren't generally um, the, the norm. Um, That it just continued to keep my confidence level high that, you know, I could do this. And so I didn't really ever blink um, at that. Uh, and I found that it just allowed me to be more comfortable with um, utilizing what was uniquely me. Um, and if part of that was being a female, then I was all for it. Right. Um, because there was always a little bit and women have a tendency to do this of like, oh, I didn't go to school and graduate with a background and, you know, with a degree in finance or economics. Right. Like I have learned this all, um, you know, through self-study and, you know, just by asking lots and lots of questions. Um, So there was that part that always kind of sat there in the back of my head, like, can I do this? And then I would just sort of quickly say, yeah, no, I can. I just have to do it my way and what works for me um, and being authentic. So that's something that I always share with um, other women who are interested in getting in the business or who are in the business but aren't on the planning side yet, that um, there really is no barrier to entry. Um, We tend to create those barriers, right? Um, ourselves, at least that's my impression. Um, and I know that that's probably a, you know, an over simplified impression, but I think it served me well. So, um, yeah, so, and I still think very much so that it's only a period of time before we see a lot more equality as far as the number of women that are in the planning business versus men. Um, and I think we have a unique opportunity with the aging of the financial planner. Um, role uh, for women to supplant a lot of that. Um, and it would be, in my opinion, a natural fit because I think our the market and the clients and the families that we serve are looking for more of a relationship. And um, I think most women bring that naturally to the table.
0: Well, I love your point about what makes us uniquely who we are and using that to work with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the thing that's often missed, that we're supposed to be like this when really, if we're right. really who we are, yeah. that draws people.
1: I will tell you a funny story that I um, I was looking for a professional photo of me and um, I knew the quickest way to get it was if I Googled and did Google images right, and um, found it quickly. But then I also found this other photo of me when like, oh gosh, this was now uh, oh, 10, 15, maybe, maybe closer to 15 years ago now. And I I was wearing a suit, like this red like power women's suit. Right? And I clearly realized that at that point in time, I was still doing some things that I felt like, you know, allowed me to fit in more to the culture. Um, And I've completely, you know, gone away from that. I am very much, you know, I I have a couple of suits that hang in my closet, but they're not like the pinstripe, navy blue suits, you know, that look like a male's you know, a woman's twist on a male suit. Um, And so I think over the years, as I've just gained confidence and experience and knowledge That it, that you know, the more authentic I show up um, as a professional, which includes just my physical appearance, um, the better I am at at doing my job.
0: And clients respond to that, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. Well, one of the um, topics that I wanted to talk with you is uh, about study groups. Yeah. Because I know this is definitely um, something that's really helped you, and I've heard you share many stories about it. Can you tell me just, your history with study groups? Sure.
1: Um, I mean, you know, I've had lots of study group experience with, um, you know, back in college days. um, But I think the, this is a bit, a lot different. I mean, maybe the basic structure of it isn't really different. Um, But I didn't really know that study groups existed um, beyond like when I was studying for the CFP, right. Or even, you know, for my insurance license. Um, But when I joined the Financial Planning Association um, immediately after passing the exam, I kind of looked at the FPA, frankly, Hannah, as being my study group, right, Um, and being just a great resource to have some way to connect with peers and you know just maybe put out a comment on you know a question or an inquiry that I might have and know that I'm speaking to a peer that is a CFP and they obviously embrace planning um, and that's why they're a member of the FPA. So. Um, that's sort of how I was at least viewing my membership with the FPA initially. Um, I, again, found myself in a very fortunate situation in that um, after attending my first retreat um, that I, you know, met a few women that were around my age, um, you know, came from all different, you know, backgrounds as far as the forums in which we worked um, to do our planning in, you um, And one of them, you know, basically, after spending a couple of days together through this retreat experience said, you know, how would you feel about forming a study group? And I frankly, you know, was just like, sure, I'm up for it. But I didn't have any expectations that this would be I I frankly thought at the moment it was that we were going to form a study group and carry out some of the conversations that we were having from the retreat session itself, right, that we were really just kind of creating this study group because none of us wanted to end the conversations that we were having from all the different sessions that we attended, and then at some point it would kind of come to an end, right, um, that this was just a way to extend the retreat experience. Um, so, you know, that we started the study group, um, and initially it was just like four of us, um, and then we added one additional person about a year later, Um But I can tell you within probably two or three months of having our monthly study group call, I could see that I had no um, desire to see this study group come to an end. Um, And everything was just, you know, living beyond my expectations for what I was gaining from it and what I felt like I could give back. So that's kind of how it started. Hannah was just me attending FPA retreat with that being a mindset that this is my study group, but you know, obviously consisting of thousands of people and having really um, like a blog post um, sort of mechanism on the FPA website to interact with, but no, with no sort of um, fine-tuned like regularity to it or accountability or anything like that. And I just got fortunate in meeting somebody who had already been a part of a study group um, but wanted to form a new one how long
0: has your study group been meeting?
1: So we've been meeting since 2013. Um, we, we've had some periodic calls in 2012. So 2013 um, was when I would say we, we added our final member and really created a lot more structure and regularity around um, the purpose um, and you know, how the study group was going to function.
0: You talk about the purpose of the study group. Can you share what your study group's purpose is?
1: Yes. Um, so it's, it's really a pretty broad purpose in the sense that I can tell you our whys for, you know, why we wanted to um, keep this, uh, this particular group intact and, um, and have it have no expiration date was because we all as individuals believed that it was super important to have a sense of community. Um, and at a you know at a love at a size that worked for us right where we felt like all of our voices could be equally heard, um, and so that was you know one of the I think the driving purposes. Um, we also all recognized that you know being a part of something like this brought with it some accountability. Um, that whenever we would leave a conference and we'd have these wonderful you know experiences and we plan to put certain things into practice um, that, you know, we might come off the plane and, you know, be going hard at it for 30 days, but then, you know, normal life events would happen. And those were sort of the first things to go. And we felt like the study group would help us hold each other accountable. Um, we also really totally loved, um, and was, you know, I think part of the, uh, the design of looking at, what we could benefit by leveraging the various perspectives that each of us brought, um, as well as the fact that some of us attend different conferences, right. Um, And many of us come from a very different setup as to how our businesses are run. So just bringing that, a a certain amount of leverage that, you know, I can, I can access information that, you know, comes out of some of my study group members that they gain by going to say a NAPFA conference um, or attending NorCal or, um, Nazrudin or, you know, whatever it may be, um, that I I don't necessarily, I know that I have confidence and faith that the other members of my study group, as they attend these things, if they find something super meaningful out of it, um, they will bring it back. Um, so they're, so now we are all sort of, you know, as a tribe, we realize that when we go, to something, um, a conference or a seminar or what, uh, attend a webinar. We're almost always being mindful that we're going as the five of us, right? Like we're thinking about all of each other and how this might relate to each person. Um, and so that is fantastic, in my opinion. Um, the leverage that I feel like we have gained in absorbing knowledge and, and the peer to peer sharing. Um, I can also say that our, you know, part of our purpose was just knowing that Perspective is, um, is always different, um, depending upon your arrangement, your experience and who you're working with. Uh, and that it's really helpful as we, you know, age in our profession, Hannah, that we don't get too close minded, right? Or assume that what we're doing is the status quo. Um, so we really just wanted to keep our brains young, um, and constantly be thinking about how it could potentially be different or how it is being done differently and being open to, um, you know, looking at change for us. Um, so that, you know, those are kind of the fundamental purpose, um, element of our study group.
0: One thing I find interesting is you really made it a point to have people with different perspectives join your group. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear some groups that are just, you know, they want they want to be in a study group. Everybody is kind of in the same situation.
1: I think for our study group, um, we had so much in common with regards to our, our passion for what we, we were doing that we didn't, you know, it almost, that just meant that we had enough in common that From that point forward, Hannah, we were looking for the things that were going to differentiate us, right, so that we could could add value, right? So I mentioned that sense of community, you know, that being kind of the number one reason for why we wanted to have a, a study group. And it was because we all shared a very common goal that, A, we're all women we're all, you know, um, business owners in some respect, but we have different, you know, mechanisms as, as to how those businesses are run. But we have a common goal of, of leaving a, um, a positive impact on the profession because we believe it's changing. Um, and we think we were initially part of the change and maybe not as aware that, that we were playing a role in that change, but that the awareness is there now and we need to move forward and, and, so that goes back to that diversity, Hannah, of just having it be really helpful to know somebody who has got a broker-dealer who is also an RIA, you know, and then you have a, you know, a one woman, um, you know, run business who highly leverages technology. Um, and then you have, so, I mean, we have so many different arrangements that it's fascinating. And at the same time, it does build confidence that no matter what, we, it, we, it works, we can make it work. Um, but it always allows us to, you know, focus on what's where do we need to go um, so that we can improve upon, you know, women accessing this as a profession and, you know, really have and create, you know, Hannah, you've probably heard this a lot, but create that language that is so important to us actually being identified as a real bona fide profession out there. And so, you know, being women, we feel like you know, we're naturally pretty communicative, communicative people. And so um it, we're, we're conscious of that all the time. And so those different backgrounds was, you know, I think a real driving force for, especially the last person that we added in when we looked at, okay, who are the four of us and what are our, you know, what's the common denominators here? And then what are the differentiators bringing in the fifth? We were very, you know, Thoughtful about, okay, how would this, per, you know, what could be, um, what's missing and um, what do we need, right? So, uh, and, and we decided to cap it at that five with the, with the understanding that if we felt like, you know, at some point in time we needed to bring in someone new, um, then we would. But, you know, at, at this point in time, we still feel like we're representing a wide enough spectrum of the financial planning services um, that we don't need to go there just yet.
0: It's interesting in a lot of forums and um, groups that I've seen online, the issue of diversity has been, um, I've just been seeing it pop up a lot more. And what I'm hearing from you is that you you took that idea of diversity and put it in probably one of your, I'm assuming, one of your most intimate professional groups. And I think that's so neat. And it's just reminding me that diversity is that mindset of how you approach life and how you approach other people.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's definitely... You know, at quick glance, you think we—it's funny because we're named. You know, our nickname is blonde Amazons, right? And so, what's funny about that is you—it means that from the outside world, Hannah, people put this idea that we're all the same, (laughs) when we're really not. We're all very, very different. We have a lot of—you know—some of us have more similarities than others, but there is a wide spectrum of traits and characteristics inside of our group, which, frankly, to me. Um, I think is what makes us so strong and so solid. And I just, I can't imagine um, me not being a part of this. And you, you absolutely hit it on the head. I, this is my most intimate group of, um, of individuals inside of my professional life.
0: I was at a recent event and it was like a career day at FPA. And somebody brought me over this resume and there was just something so unique on it. And this woman who showed it to me, she goes, she has no idea how special she is because she has this. And so I think just so much of what's coming up in this conversation, that idea of what makes you unique, whether that's a woman and how you dress and how you approach life or these skill sets that are outside of financial planning, like that's what makes you valuable. Absolutely.
1: And I I think that that comes with... um... Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a good spot here where, you know, even though there are some pretty ugly, um, things going on in the world and even here in our country with regards to, you know, still not enough being done to recognize diversity or being as inclusive as we should be for, um, for every, you know, representation that there is in our citizenship, um, that that is ultimately I mean, so you may have attended or heard, but um, Don St Clair and Debbie Gross, who Debbie, full disclosure, is part of my study group, um, d- did a session at last year's retreat, and they just talked about, you know, if you're if we're forced to think about the future, and let's say robo advisors come in, and you know, you know, do efficiently um, what it appears that they can do and will do, commoditize the investing side of the business. what left, right? And, um, regardless of whether it's financial planning and, you know, market, um, involvement, but no, regardless of the industry, what's, what's always been the critical element of it is what do we as human beings bring to the plate that cannot be commoditized and cannot be, you know, mechanized. Right. And so, um, I think that that is a big part of where this financial planning profession has to head is to embrace that um, and obviously you know that our theme for 2017 about you know bringing a, a magnifying glass to the, the generations that exist in our, our country um, is, is really going to be very interesting mm-hmm. um, and I think so far there's been a bit of a negative connotation that there needs to be division because there are different generations. That have been created as a result of our country's history. When in fact, I think when you flip it on its head, it's not the di- it's it is the differences that make us stronger, and we just have to embrace that. And and um so our study group is really strong, I think, because of those differences that are, um that are ex- that are existing in the the five members.
0: Absolutely, and I'm just going to throw in a quick pitch for the FP retreat, and um, because we're both on the task force for it this year. But if you are a young person who really wants to kind of get to that next level in your career and just in the conversations that you're having, this would be an amazing place for you to go to kind of get, get that next level and kind of bump you up if if you would.
1: I agree. I mean, and, and it's neat. Like I really think the young minds are needed at this retreat. If there's been any retreat, I think that has been designed to, Allow for them to feel instantly included. It's this one, so um, so I I, you're spot on, Hannah. I think that that's really important.
0: Yeah, there's the older generation. I mean, literally in these meetings, asking like, where are the young people? Like, we want them there. Like, we want those minds, and like, we need that. And so, if that's you, like, there's a great place for you to go. Yeah. Can we just talk through some of the mechanics really quick of the study groups? Like, what are the topics that you discuss? Are you still meeting once a month? Sure.
1: Um, Yeah. So, and that—that is a big part, uh, I think, of a successful study group is—is working out the mechanics right away, Um, because you need to sign on to, you know, a commitment to make a commitment, and part of that, you know, commitment is understanding what's expected of you, right? So, we instantly set out that monthly calls worked best for us. We felt like that would let lead to less kind of you know, things dropping through the cracks, if you will, or just a rush to get prepared because we had 90 days between calls. Um, and so we liked the continuity of a monthly call. Um, so that was set out very clear in the beginning. Um, we also have now kind of established a bit of a, a trend as to our topics that are discussed. Um, so for instance, every year, one of the major topics that we discuss is we do a business plan review, right, of all of our individual business plans. Um, and so that's nice to just have some outside eyes, look at it. You know, they're the first ones that say, hey, well, didn't you say that you were going to make marketing, you know, your one of your top three initiatives for the year? And where are you on that, Kirsten? You know, why is it still in the top three? Uh, you know, why isn't it off the charts now? Because it's been, you know, accomplished. Um, and so that, that's always been great. but. Um, Setting up, you know, those kind of recurring um, topics is an important part of it. Um, but we do. So after the business planning um, theme, we also plan once a year um, and then kind of a, a quasi meeting um, at any conference that we join. We all attend. Um, go over and just do some creation of ideas of like what, you know, let's just brain dump and put the these ideas in like a parking lot, if you will. Um, of what do, what is on our radar screens as individuals? And then, you know, we'll get some consensus there about, oh yeah, you know, I definitely want to talk about, um, this aspect of planning or, you know, for instance, let's say somebody is, you know, two, two of us were thinking about hiring staff. Um, and we're really concerned about like, what is, you know, what's the best what are the best resources for finding people and how do you vet them pro- appropriately? And what are the tests that we want to take, you know, as far as personality tests to make sure they're good fits, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, there every year there's multiple um, themes that are brought in. Some are more reoccurring than others, um, but we definitely make an effort at least once a year, if not twice a year, um, to refill that parking lot, if you will, of ideas. Um, and so that's really great. And we do have a facilitator. So there's one person who's basically in charge of, you know, making sure that the calls are on our calendars. If there are scheduling issues, you know, she's the one that basically handles and, and does like the doodle poll to make sure that we're all you know, available because we really hate to have somebody left out. Um, and then um, we did actually last year was our first time of actually putting together a suite of doing a deep dive, Hannah, on a particular topic. And so we took college planning and um, each of us was assigned an aspect of college planning and we had to develop a presentation that would basically, the the purpose was to, you know, inform um, our study group members of, you know, what current research is telling us and what current practices we're using or we found were being used in this, um, on this theme. And then we, you know, basically built it so that all five parts when put together was a, a complete A to Z of, you know, if you're working on college planning and it's with somebody who just became a parent for the first time, what does that mean? What does that look like to, you know, start having that college planning conversation all the way up through, you've got a graduate now, they've got their student loan debt, they're looking at how they're going to manage their cash flow and debt obligations um, as well as the you know they're looking at their job offers. Um, and how do you, as a planner, um, advise them in that way? So A to Z, um, and so we put that suite of product of presentations together as one cohesive. Um, we We never we really just basically said we wanted to sit out and do a deep dive um, because we thought we all had the commitment and energy and desire to do it. Um, we've not really discussed, you know, is this something that we now want to share with the public, right? Um, and so that's sort of our next conversation about, are we going to just move on and do a deep dive on something, another topic, and this is really just information for us to leverage, um, or, you know, do we want to think about how can we as a study group take what we've done and benefit the planning community, right? So, um, so, so definitely having a facilitator, you know, um, commitment to regularly scheduled meetings, whether it's monthly or quarterly, I think is important to the success of the study group, um, and then having you know some objectives as to the types of information that you want to tackle uh, in your call, and and again having you know a majority agreement on those topics because um, it may be that we know we want to talk about business plan reviews, but if we have somebody who just lost staff and they're really struggling, you know, because they're really worried about the timing of this loss, um, how do they refill this, then, you know, we're there really to provide as much support um, in a timely fashion. And so we're, we are willing, obviously, to reschedule and move those um, those meeting objectives around a bit.
0: So if somebody is hearing all this and is like, that sounds like amazing. Like I want to be a part of something like that. How do they find a, how do they find a study group or what would you recommend to them?
1: Um, I mean, I think you need to put out your feelers, um, you know, to figure out, are you, well, I, I would ask yourself this question first is do you want to be a part of something that already exists or do you want to be a part of something that you want to create? Um, because I think that that is two different things. Maybe you just want to dip your toes in experiencing what it's like to be part of a study group that already exists to figure out what you like and don't like and would do differently. Um, but if you're just saying, I, you know, I already love the idea of a study group, then I would sort of recommend that you just get it going yourself and tap into, you know, some people who, you know, you know, um, I think the FPA community is an excellent community. Your local FPA chapter would probably be a good resource. Um, although I'm, you know, the the study group members in my study group, I'm the oddball. I live on the East Coast in Maine and the other four live on, in California and, and all within a relatively close area. Um, it's with the exception of maybe two of them. They don't see each other on a routine basis. So I would say don't let geography um, limit who is a part of your study group. Um, I would focus more on, you know, uh, that diversity part. Um, And so I would say just honestly, Hannah, it's that initial part. Like, do you want to create something or do you want to be a part of something that already exists first? Right. Um, And I think you can't go wrong with starting somewhere to put the feelers out within your FPA local chapter or the FPA national community.
0: It's one of my mentors tells me, he's like, you know, when I set my study group up, I tried to find people who were smarter than I was. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, it's not a bad way to kind of approach it if you're starting new.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, assuming that you're talking about, you know, the next-gen crowd um, of FPA members, then I think that that's definitely a great idea. Um, and if you are okay with waiting as long as as attending, you know, FPA retreat next year, then I would say that would also be a fabulous um you know, moment in time to kind of have your eyes and ears open um, as you're having conversations in the hallways between sessions about the types of people who, you know, maybe would be interested in forming a study group with you.
0: Mm -hmm. Finding that place where you just feel like at home professionally. Yeah, absolutely. So as we kind of wrap up, we're talking, you know, speaking to the younger advisor, the people who are looking to join the profession that maybe aren't always younger. What advice do you have to those who are thinking about starting into the profession or who are a couple years into it?
1: I, I think, um, well, I probably hit on it a little bit earlier, which is just you know, if it clicks for you, Hannah, like if this is something that really gets you excited and you know, and you rarely think about it as work, um, then you know, run with that, stay hold on to that feeling, um, because. It, you know, things are changing and to, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly privy to the challenges that exist in starting out. Um, whether you're young and starting out or this is just your, for, you know, you're on the older side and this is your first couple of years in the profession and what the unique challenges are there. But I can, I can tell you whatever your challenges are at the moment. Um, they'll become less of a challenge, uh, at least a struggle. Um, if you, you know, really enjoy helping people and you are, you know, it's easy for you to put your interests aside um, initially. So I also think um, beyond that, right? So you got to have a passion for it. Um, But beyond that, I think identifying we talked about diversity a lot and those unique perspectives um, but that doesn't mean that if you narrow your focus to working or serving one particular community, that you're not going to be successful. Um, you know, I, like I mentioned in my history, um, I was fortunate in the sense that I saw firsthand, you know, a woman at Merrill Lynch highly leverage, leveraging her unique situation of, you know, speaking multiple you know, Chinese languages or dialects of of Chinese languages and using that to her benefit. Um, And then, again, I, you know, with that experience at Smith Barney with a gentleman who had found and carved out a really unique situation at Smith Barney to basically make Fortune 500 companies who had, you know, stock options and and RSUs as part of their big compensation um, plans for their employees, that was a unique niche that he had. And as a result, the people who we were servicing had a unique need. Right. And so um, I feel like, you know, there's still a little bit of a bias that you have to just be thankful for what you get early on um, because that's, you, you gotta, you know, put money in the bank account to put food on the table and pay your light bill. But um, I would say, you gotta be careful about that. Um, I think you're, you're more likely to be much happier and more successful if you really listen to what it is that you um, are most interested in. Uh, because then it will allow you to show up, um, at a hundred percent being authentic. And, you know, that passion will just, it'll just come out. It won't be effort. You know, it really won't be as much work. Um, and that goes back to that uniqueness. There's enough diversity and, you know, we're all very unique, Um, but, you know, finding that as your path as to how you're going to build a practice, I think would probably be one of the differentiators, Hannah, as for a young planner starting or a planner who's not so young, but starting for the first time in this field.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of You're a Financial Planner, Now What? I look forward to talking to you again next week.